we were at a going away ceremony for a leader in the organization who was the same rank as me. And there were, you know, higher, higher leaders at said going away ceremony. And one of those leaders was speaking at the ceremony and he said, you know, we're really going to miss you, you know, for you are ambitious. You don't take no for an answer. You get after it on a daily basis and you are the epitome of what leaders should look to be. And my platoon sergeant elbowed me and whispered, isn't that what you always get in trouble for doing? And he laughed and I laughed, but I laughed because it's so true. And that there, there was finally someone else who was noticing what was going on here. Uh, welcome back team. This is uh, Drew and Alex here with another exciting week of Mops and Mo's. This week we are talking to Emma Palace. Alex, tell us a little bit about Emma. Emma is a first lieutenant currently serving with the Army's only rough terrain unit, the 57th Sapper Company Airborne at Fort Liberty, where Drew is. Hey. Emma graduated from West Point in 2020 with a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology, where she also competed on the women's lacrosse team, the triathlon team, and the functional fitness team. Her military schools include, and this is a lot for a first lieutenant engineer officer, <laughs> Airborne School, Military Freefall School, Ranger School, Sapper School, Jump Master School, and the Master Fitness Trainer course. Outside of the Army, Emma enjoys fitness, mentoring others, skydiving, and sourdough baking slash pandering to Drew. <laughs> and I'm about that, really. We, uh, off air, I, well, actually, we might have captured some of this, but um, obviously, exchanging recipes, ideas, concepts, and thoughts around sourdough baking, which if you guys haven't gone down that rabbit hole, I highly recommend it. Maybe we could start a, a Mops and most spinoff with sourdough recipe conversations. But um, yeah, Emma reached out to us. Like Alex mentioned, she's here at Fort Liberty in North Carolina, and she reached out asking if uh, we wanted to get together and chat training and fitness, and we did. And her story, which she gets into in this episode, um, not only around you know having the Ranger tab and the Sapper tab and all the things that she's done, but really we dive down um, a little bit of a conversation around just being being female in the military and positions of leadership in organizations that are very much male dominant. And it's, I mean, obviously Alex, neither Alex nor I can really speak to a lot of that, but I think giving Emma the chance to bring some of that stuff to light was was fascinating. So it's a it's a meandering conversation in the best sense possible. Um, and, and hopefully this is a story that resonates with a lot of our listeners. Yeah, this was a, a really cool one, kind of an unexpected one. Dive into a lot of issues that get talked about tangential to fitness. There's plenty of fitness talk, but also beyond that, uh, I I really got a lot out of the conversation. And this is a good chance to remind people. I know I, I tagged Drew in some of the Instagram stuff, so I don't know how many people have wandered their way over to Drew's <laughs> social media presence. There's almost there's no, no fitness there's nothing there. there for you. I, no, that's not true. I've reposted some. Uh, what did I do recently? The only permanent posts you've taken from Opsimos are announcements of how many downloads we've got on the of podcast. Course. Everything else is girl dad stuff, occasional golf stuff, and baking. I have a real problem filming myself working out, and I tried. I even tried doing. If you scroll pretty far back, you'll find some like, you know, I spent some time on my computer creating some content and got tired of it pretty quickly. So shout out to Alex for keeping that train going on Mops and Mo's. But uh, 
Yeah. If anybody's interested in what my uh, daughter's doing in swim lessons or gymnastics or on the golf course or in the kitchen, feel free to give me a follow. Um, if you want things related to fitness and tactical, just stick with Alex. He's a lot better at it than I. Enjoy. Hey guys, before we get into this week's episode, we just wanted to give a really quick plug for the recently launched long and strong program on Mops and Moses Train Heroic account. So if you follow Mops and Moes on Instagram, or if you go to our website, you will find links taking you to where you can sign up for Long and Strong. This is an ongoing sort of team-based program. For the next couple of weeks before September kicks off, we're doing a discount sign-up rate at $20. So if you sign up now using the links that I just mentioned, $20 after the beginning of September, once the program goes live, it'll increase to $30 a month. So take advantage of it now. You probably aren't surprised to know this will be a concurrent training type of program. There will be some classic barbell strength work. There will be some polarized endurance training, some intense supersets, some work capacity type of sessions. It's designed as one workout a day, six days per week, one of those being active recovery. And I, for one, am beta testing it as we speak, trying to balance it with a lot of mountain biking and hiking and things like that. Working pretty well. Um, certainly enjoying the flexibility of it. I usually move my active recovery day to Wednesday instead of Thursday because I do a long bike ride on Sunday. It's got the flexibility to adapt to whatever else you're doing. I think you guys really enjoy it. And yes, there will be leg tucks. So like we said, follow the links on Instagram, head over to the website, sign up now. Programming will not start until the 1st of September, but you can get in at the $20 rate. Until then, once September kicks off, it will be $30 a month. Emma, yes. I want to know. You went to West Point. Mm-hmm. I want to know why. <laughs> I don't mean that in a in a critical way. <laughs> I should rephrase my. She's anyway. giving me like PTSD from my platoon. My school. Why did you choose to go to West Point? That's a great question. That's why I led with it. Yes, West Point was never on my collegiate radar. So I'm from right outside of New York City in Southern Connecticut. And it's just not a place that breeds people that go to service academies. Um, and I say that not to like be rude about the area that I grew up in. I'm very thankful to have grown up there. Um, but it was never on my radar. It was never brought to my attention. My college counselor didn't have any experience with it. So prior to seeing the service academies, I'd probably looked at like 20 plus schools all the way from Colgate University in upstate New York to TCU and UT Austin down in Texas. And I liked them all. But none of them really felt like everyone always said when you're looking at colleges, you're you're gonna know when you step on campus of the right one. And I never, I never got that quote unquote feeling. Um, I I could see myself at all of them. You know, I was like, I could have fun here, I could join all these clubs, yeah, I could do that. But I don't know, I think my junior year, I looked at my mom and I told her I wanted to see the Naval Academy. And she was quite shocked, but was like, All right, let's we'll go do it. So I went and looked at the Naval Academy and I loved the service academy, but I really did not want to be a part of the Navy for the sake of <laughs> being on a boat, being in a submarine and the engineering and like STEM requirements were really steep there. And I didn't see myself wanting to wanting to study something that that in, that deep in engineering or STEM related. And so my college counselor was like, well, why don't you look at West Point? So I didn't even look at West Point. I did the, I applied for the week long summer leaders experience that you do going into your senior year to 
live like a cadet for a week and see if see if that West Point experience is for you. And I completely fell in love with it. I was really inspired by the cadet leadership that I had. I, you know, came home and I was like, I want to be just like them. Um, Alex is really inspired this right by now. the people around no, me. She's describing basically what happened to me. <laughs> yeah, I uh, was super inspired by the other like high schoolers around me. How everyone was a part of this, you know, bigger mission and this everyone was driving to be better and doing it together. And I and I really that really resonated with me. So I don't I don't know what initially led me to say, like, I want to look at the Naval Academy. I don't I don't know. I was a volunteer firefighter for seven years. So maybe maybe something in the fire department sparked that. I, I really don't remember water. What, what maybe water. Yes. What what inspired me to to look at service academies in the first place. But I'm I'm really thankful that my parents were supportive and, you know, my college counselor suggested West Point and because I, I wouldn't have like figured that out on my own, I don't think. So this will this will ease us into one of the topics we're going to talk about later. But it seems like once you got to West Point, you hit the ground running pretty hard in terms <laughs> of like army stuff. What army schools did you knock out before you even graduated? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I did airborne school after my freshman year, but that they offer air assault and airborne to cadets. Um, but I think airborne, when I went in 2017, they were doing two slots per company. So I was fortunate to snag a slot to airborne school going into my sophomore year which was my first experience with the real army, which we can get into that later, but that was, that was wild. And then I was fortunate to go to military free fall school as a cadet. And that is um, another really crazy story. You went to free fall school as a cadet. That's insane. Sorry. Yes, keep going. And no, no one, I'll say this, that uh, West Point doesn't offer free fall slots. That's not a thing. No one knew that I was at free fall school except for my TAC officer and maybe two of my friends. And it, not the recommended route, but I, I like to think that I'm living proof that anything is possible if you are a squeaky enough wheel. Or and willing to do... sneak into free fall school. I didn't sneak per se. <laughs> And then they had all the kinesiology majors do master fitness trainer our senior year because a lot of our classes covered that curriculum already. So they had us just like take all the tests at the end of our senior year. To be honest, your your curriculum covered like a lot more than the master fitness trainer. <laughs> like, it's, let's be clear. Yes. I think that our professors or our instructors wanted, you know, okay, you just spent four years studying kinesiology. Let's give you like an army like it's apply this to the army on your, you know, ORB somehow. Um, so they had us do the master fitness trainer testing in that process, but we just did that at West point with our instructors. Um, so yeah, that, that was, I was a very fortunate cadet, but that the, the, there's a lot of stories behind those, those experiences. Um, yeah. Does, does, eh, I don't know the answer to this question, Alex, you may, I know, I mean, you do, but like, does kinesiology as a curriculum support, master fitness trainer content like do those two jive i'll i'll try to answer this from my perspective at least um i was not a kinesiology major so i don't know like the details of the curriculum she went through that was like new when i was there i almost did it because it was a brand new major at the time but it's actually the like required curriculum for all cadets that's more aligned with master fitness trainer like every cadet has to take fundamentals of personal fitness and like group fitness and some of those things and honestly when I showed up at master fitness trainer, before I became an instructor, 
it was those classes that seemed like they basically covered like the majority of what you got in master fitness trainer. So everything she did for her major was probably above and beyond most of that. I would agree with that. I think everything I did in kinesiology was, you know, you could copy and paste that curriculum at university of Georgia and it would be, it would apply. Um, but a lot of our instructors are, are active duty army. So they would, you know, add an army spin to the class or let you know how it applies to the military kind of thing. Uh, but I, I would agree with, with Alex that a lot of the basic physical education classes that they have you take at West Point cover the madness, master fitness trainer curriculum really well. Kinesis curriculum just takes it 19 steps further. So I'm probably prefacing a conversation we'll have a little bit later, but at West Point and maybe towards the end of West Point, maybe even after West Point a little bit, what was the perception you had of big army? And you touched on this a little bit with your airborne stuff, but I want to know as a cadet at arguably like the most army school there is, well, really the only army school that there is, sorry, like VMI and Citadel, what was your perception of the military? So when I was at West Point, you're surrounded by a population of very motivated, like-minded individuals. And you just kind of assume that the rest of the army will be that way. And you are given the most amazing instructors and mentors and TAC officers that the army has to offer. Because from my understanding now, it's really competitive to make it back to West Point to be in any one of those leadership roles uh, in front of cadets. And so we were presented with, in theory, the best of the best and some really impressive individuals. And so that was like the only image that we were given of the army. So that's kind of what I thought it was going to be like. And the analogy that I like to use is West Point painted a picture of the army being a beautiful family of four with a white picket fence and a manicured lawn. But the army is not like that. Yes, there's a structure, but it's on fire. The roof has caved in. Yes, there's a fence, but it's been completely blown over and it's laying on the sidewalk. The lawn is overgrown and the dumpster in the back of the house is on fire. So yes, those structures are there, but they look wildly different from what West Point tells you the structures look like. And I, I think that's because, you know, we're given so many amazing mentors at the school and they're really optimistic about you going out there in the army and, and being that next generation of leaders for, you know, quote unquote, America's sons and daughters. But the reality is it's not like that. And no one told us. Be all you can be. Something like that. I will say I'm not going to disagree at all, but I am going to add a layer, I think, which is how widely experiences vary in the army, I think is like not terribly well explained as a cadet. Like they, they make it seem like everybody's going into like the same part of the army. And like, I don't know what your experience was, but when I was there, it was kind of like infantry focused very much was like just the culture mm -hmm. around everything. And that's really valuable because that's kind of like the fundamentals of the army and that's the business the army is in. And a lot of the other functions support that. My experience was certainly very different because I went MI. Military intelligence for people that Yeah, don't sorry. Know. But I remain grateful for that just because of the like type of soldiers I ended up working with. They were, they were fantastic. They were like really, really smart. Many of them had master's degrees. Many of them spoke second languages, like all this really cool stuff. And like, that's, that's kind of just like what the culture is in military intelligence to a certain degree, not to say they're all like geniuses, but they're, they're definitely like smarter than your average soldier, um, which was really cool in terms of my experience. And I think depending on the place you go, you can run into totally different cultures all over the army. And mm -hmm. I have, I have friends who like 
did their whole time in the army without ever serving in a maneuver unit. Um, I have friends who did their entire army only serving in maneuver units. It's just the, the variety of different cultures and things out there is massive. And it's like tangentially related to this podcast, I think, because we have some strength and conditioning professionals realizing that like not every part of the army is the same and has the same physical demands or the same fitness culture and things like that. So there's just a point in all of this about the sheer diversity and scale of like what the army means to different people. Well, and huge. I think it's tough because a lot of our instructors came from the GWAT era. They were multiple deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, and then came to West Point as, as a break for, for a break from the line, a break for their families. And then we commissioned into the army to an army that's not really doing anything internationally. We don't have much of a purpose right now. We're not deploying. The majority of my classmates have not deployed and the, the, what the majority of my classmates are doing, if anything, in terms of leaving the country, it is rotations in Korea and Europe, which you just go sit over there and train a bunch. And, you know, so I think the mentality of our instructors, you know, they had this really great experience or a lot of real world experience in GWAT. And then our class graduates to an army that is very different from the one that they grew up in. And so I think that there was a huge disconnect for us with that because we commissioned expecting the the GWAT experiences and that you're going to deploy with your platoon and run in front of, you know, the fire, like all, all this stuff. And it was, well, you're going to go to motor pool Monday. Like that's the reality of it. And that that's not something our instructors talked about, but also like their experience was very different from the current army that we now have. We come from a similar era in that sense. Cause like that was almost exactly my experience is like deployment started winding down right as I commissioned. And I found myself in the wrong brigade to hop on some deployments and was very upset about it. I've, I've talked to a lot of people about that. I've talked to mentors about that and all that kind of stuff. Cause it's frustrating if you like, if you thought that that was why you were joining and like, that was your purpose. And it gets really challenging to figure out what the point of things are. But I did have uh, a mentor talk to me about like one, your job in the army is to be ready for those things, not necessarily do those things. So that's a challenge to like wrap your brain around. And it's also a be careful what you wish for situation because right. like some people get exactly the deployment they imagined, but there's some like pretty brutal stuff that comes along with that. Some people do get a combat deployment, but it's not what they expected, especially my buddies who deployed towards the tail end of GWAT. You run into like retrograde missions and like guarding gates and things like that. And it's not exactly what you thought it was going to be. And there's just, the grass is always greener. You could, you imagined like a certain thing and it was perfect in the way you imagined it. And now you're experiencing a different thing, but mm -hmm. this is not me trying to like change your mind or anything, but it's the exact, it's the exact issue that I struggled <laughs> with like the last right. couple of years. And yeah. But I want to know, because you still, I mean, you, you started and then ranger school. What was the drive for that? <laughs> uh, bam, ranger school. No, uh, <laughs> I... It, that was never because I don't I don't come from a military family. I don't come from a military town. I, you know, prior to going to West Point, I had no exposure to the military. So I, you know, I never knew what Ranger School was. Um, but at the in 2016, so when I started at West Point was when the first women went through Ranger School and graduated. And that was kind of a lot of the talk my freshman year at West Point. And I had at the time a senior cadet who was mentoring me as a freshman who I don't know, I guess he saw something in me or I don't know what inspired him to bring this up in one of our weeknight chats. But he said, have you ever thought about going to ranger school? And I think from there, the seed got planted. 
And he was the first and maybe one of the only people in one in my years at West Point to tell me that that is uh, definitely within my wheelhouse. And it is, of course, something I can achieve. And he made it seem like it was as easy as going to the grocery store. Like, oh, you can. Yeah, of course you can do that. What do you mean? And I think that's what planted the seed and his his nonchalant list around. Of course, you can go to ranger school was was what kind of watered the seed. And then over the years, I thought about it a little bit, but was obviously extremely intimidated by an experience like that. Not that I ever thought I couldn't do it, but I just never thought it was something within that that would ever pop up for me. And then my senior year, I started to get pretty motivated to do something like that and then got got really lucky and then was able to do it right after uh, Bullock, engineer Bullock. So yeah, I, I had a very unique branching process. I never expected to branch engineers, the, the whole, whole thing. But yes, I, uh, I I think it all started from that initial conversation with my senior mentor when I was a freshman. We, we talked about this prior a little bit about sort of the female experience. And I know that this is going to come up in a couple of different places throughout this story, but specific to Ranger School, because like you mentioned, I remember when women started going through Ranger School and it was a big to-do, like it was in the news. What about sort of the train up process and then ultimately going to Ranger School and then, you know, passing Ranger School? What did that narrative look like as a female that might be, you know, for a male, you would imagine might be a little bit different? I would say, hmm, that's a good question. I don't know if it, if the train up process looked all that different, but I think me being a female and outwardly saying, I want to go to ranger school, people either don't take you seriously or they don't, you know, they're, they're never, they're not going to slot you for it. And so it, you know, I was in our e-Bullock Sapper Ranger train up through the whole six months of Bullock and, and there were other women in there with me, but I, you know, I was the only one that had ambitions of going to Ranger school and I don't know if anyone ever took that seriously, even though I took it really seriously and worked my butt off in two workouts a day and was, you know, had a nutritionist and was as really committed to getting myself to ranger school. Um, but I think a lot of that motivation came from within and came from me wanting to achieve a goal as opposed to someone telling me you should go to ranger school. You have to go to ranger school, something that I wanted to do and I wanted to achieve. And so I put in a lot of the work, uh, to be really ready for a school like that. And so I don't know. I think at the time I was, I was, I had the horse blinders on. I was blind to whatever someone may have been saying about me as a female trying to go to ranger school. But I would say I, for, for me personally, as, as a woman trying to go to ranger school, I, I was, you know, I did the same thing that the dudes did. I joined the Sapper Ranger train up and fought for a slot and, and he, and then there we were at day one of rap week. So but I would say a lot of that came from within and motivation came from within. And I was really lucky to have a, an amazing support network of friends and family and, and coworkers and things like that. So I definitely was not alone in that endeavor. But I, I think when, you know, at the time a, a woman says she wants to go to ranger school, it wasn't taken as seriously. So the question I was going to ask is a little bit different than that one. And it, it comes back to the whole train up thing. Did the stuff you learned as a kinesiology major shaped the way you prepared? Or did you just follow along with the same prep everybody else was doing? I would say it was a combination of my kinesiology classes, the conversations I had on the side with instructors, 
And then the variety of sports teams I was on at West Point, those three things gave me like a really good background and foundation to build from where I didn't pay for programming. I wrote my own programming. Um, I ran it sometimes by one of my kinesiology professors, but otherwise I, I had a really good basis of knowledge from being on both the triathlon team in college and then the CrossFit team or functional fitness team, I should say <laughs> in, in college. And so for, I think those two experiences gave me a lot of knowledge for programming for a, a pre-ranger kind of thing. But it was funny because our Bullock Sapper Ranger train up was not at all programmed in the slightest. What it was, was, Hey, put your name on this piece of paper and show up here at zero five showed up. And what it was for the next five to six months was a random captain from engineer captain's career course showing up every day and giving us their hardest workout that they could think of, but none of the captains ever cross-talked. We never saw the same captain twice. And it, it ended up in us doing multiple weeks where we were doing over 20 miles a week in full uniform kit and boots, like running, or we did, there were multiple weeks back to back where we did two Murphs a week because these captains would show up and be like, all right, we're doing a Murph. And we'd say like, sir, we just did that yesterday. And he's like, well, do you want to go to ranger school? sapper and, and we were like you don't really need to be doing two murphs a week in full kit boots the whole get up to succeed at at these schools so it resulted in a lot of injuries actually and and a lot of people just being exhausted and um i tried to work with the nco who was kind of kind of in charge of the train up to build uh, a better program but that didn't he didn't take very kindly to that, what? but I was, I was trying to offer help because I, I was battling an Achilles injury from doing so many workouts and boots. So this is not good for you. My roommates were constantly having like knee pain. We were doing like yoga sessions every night to combat the fitness we were doing in the morning. It was, it was just obscene and it this was sounds, not healthy. I I'm like, that's obviously frustrating, but it's also almost comical in that, like, like right out the gate, you're at Bullock and you're experiencing like the core problem with army fitness culture, which is the classic, just like somebody shows up that morning and like comes up with whatever they want to come up with. And that's, I mean, that's like functionally like why mops and mows exists is to have conversations about those problems. Like that's literally. Why is that okay for. though? Like why I realize this is an unanswerable question and we've asked it many times on this podcast, but like objectively, how is that okay? Like who, somewhat you mentioned the NCO. I mean, and there's, a, I promise there's a question beyond this because as a master fitness trainer who went to ranger school, who has the sapper tab, which we'll talk about, who went to West Point, who's very experienced and is now a leader in the military. How is, how did we get here? Why is this how it is? <laughs> I wish I had an answer. And it's funny because last week I got an MRI of my Achilles that I injured three years ago in the e-bullock sapper train up because it is causing me problems now. And it's like, it's so frustrating because that could have been avoided so easily. And I'm sure I'm not the only one from this sapper ranger train up that's having physical problems later down the line um, that you just, you know, while you're in the train up, you push aside because your motivation to go to these schools and better yourself is so high. But now, you know, three years later, I'm crusty post to these schools just coming off a, a marathon train up, it's like, well, this is actually a problem now. Thank you to the e-bullock train up and 20 plus miles a week in my Nike boots. 
So I got to ask this real directly, because it's interesting how you phrased that you're, you're having issues to this day with your Achilles and you, you don't draw, like you're not blaming Sapper school for that. And you're not blaming Ranger school for that. You're blaming specifically the Bullock prep PT for that. Is that correct? Can, can we pause and define Bullock for people who are not in the military? Because I know there's people out there. They're like, what are they talking about? Sure. The basic officer leadership course, it's the school you go to like right at the beginning of commissioning where they teach you theoretically, they teach you the basics of being an officer, but thank you. Carry on. I don't know if that's what they actually teach, but it's something. Um, that, that is correct because yes, those schools are physically demanding, but it was the aggressive unplanned train up that we did prior to that, that started a lot of injuries and problems for people. It was like, you know, in order to go to these schools, we have to break you off and show you what it's like in that school prior to going to the school. But it's like, never once in ranger school, did I go for a six mile run in my boots? Never one four times a week, never once in, you know, you know what I mean? And so it was, uh, and, and I think part of it's also like I was wearing the wrong kind of boot for my feet, but I, I mean, I didn't know you know, it was the, where the boot was creasing on my Achilles when I ran, not when I walked, but when I ran that anyway. Yeah. So what is, what does right look like then in your opinion? For a train up? Yeah. So I've, I don't know. I don't think there's one right answer. Obviously many people have been successful at these schools and everyone goes about it in a little bit of a different way, but what worked for me and when people will reach out to me and say, Hey, what did you do to train up for it? I'm a huge proponent of having a really good aerobic base. You just have an engine and you can just go and go and go. And, you know, never, I think about like my patrols in ranger school, my heart rate wasn't terribly high, but you you just have like a really good aerobic engine where you're able to just keep moving forward for 18, 20, 22 hours at a time. So I, I always tell people a good aerobic engine and then doing a lot of strengthening exercises to stabilize their joints because your knees and your hips take a huge beating in that school. And so doing like preventative exercises on the front end to mitigate that were really helpful for me. And then another huge thing was mobility. So I would dedicate 20 minutes a night, every night prior to ranger school to stretching and holding a stretch for longer than 60 seconds per side. And I think that made all the difference when I was in the school. Yes, everyone's achy. Yes, everyone's hurting in some way, shape or form, but I noticed that I was hurting less than some of my counterparts. And I think I attribute that to the mobility work that I did prior to, you know, we'd be pulling security in a patrol base at 4am and I'd be sitting in the pigeon pose to, to like stretch out my hips I'll to stay awake. Yes. But also stretch out my hips. But that was something that none of, you know, my peers couldn't get themselves in the pigeon pose to begin with. And so I think, you know, having an aerobic engine, being really stable with my joints and being mobile through ranges of motion uh, was, was really helpful in, in my preparation. Versus Murph. Then, yeah. Just understanding how to move weight around. Like, I know this sounds cheesy, but like the number of times that I was in these schools and what I did in, in functional fitness workouts, um, realizing that it translated to what I was doing in that school was crazy. Like carrying water cans for heavy distances, or you get one water can. So power cleaning it up over my head and onto my ruck. And, you know, you're, you have to take a knee and get up. So you're doing like weighted lunges effectively. So I found there was a lot of crossover in like knowing how to move my body through with weight on it and holding weight 
while you're tired or uncomfortable or sweaty already. I, I felt like that was really beneficial. So like Murph twice a week and then running in boots the rest of the time and yoga. Perfect recipe. Yeah. <laughs> Voila, a Ranger grad. Now was Ranger, this is back to some of the timeline stuff, but Ranger was before Sapper for you, correct? That is correct. So what, what would you say were some of the key differences there? And I'm not to turn this podcast into like a, let's talk through all the schools, but I'm curious about kind of honestly, maybe a little bit back to sort of the, the female experience, but then also as you stepped away from West Point, which we talked about a little bit and just experiencing the army as you may not have perceived it as a cadet. So what did, what did that look like for you? I think the female thing is, is probably like a whole separate conversation because I didn't, I didn't really experience the brunt of that until after those courses. So I would say my ranger school experience, you know, obviously most of your instructors at West Point have ranger tabs and they talk about their experiences there all the time. And it's hyped up to be this really big deal. It's hyped up to be this phenomenal leadership course that will harden you as a leader and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I graduated that school very jaded and feeling very let down by my experiences there. I met some really awesome people um, that I'm still in touch with to this day. And I think Ranger School did does a really neat job of showing you your limits. You know, you, you might think that something is your limit, but Ranger pushes it that much further for you and then continues to move that needle until maybe the needle doesn't exist anymore. And so I'm thankful for Ranger School for those experiences, but I don't really think I gained anything as a leader. I really thought that there were a number of experiences that I had that I was like, oh, I, I you know, didn't know. So I, I think I, uh, I was disappointed in the school for, because it didn't deliver on the things that I, to- I was told it would, but I was surprised in, in other arenas. I, I wouldn't not go to ranger school nowadays, knowing what I know now, but it was definitely very different than I was told it would be. It's interesting because as Drew mentioned, women going to ranger school when that first started was like a huge thing. There were press conferences where they were asking them how it was different, all these articles, lots of debate, all that stuff. But, and like, I'm going to ask you to clarify something again, just to make sure I got it right. You said that your experience in ranger school, the, like the factor of being a woman was not as big a deal as it was when you got like out to the army later. Is that like, that's right. Okay. And that's not to say that there weren't little issues here and there in the school, but definitely nothing compared to what I have experienced since being out in the operational army. Interesting. Before we go there, just to silence all the naysayers, Emma, when you were ranger school, did they lower the standards for you? Not at all. Okay. Perfect. Not at all. <laughs> nope. Mm-mm. Okay. Then. So now let's fast forward because you've, you've hit on this twice now. I want to dive into it basically head first, like not as much of a, maybe not as much of a, a deal while you were in schools, but then prior, now you're in big army. The fact that you're a female becomes, is it wrong to say a challenge? I don't, I don't know. Uh, not wrong. There's just a lot to that. So uh, I'll say these statistics, not to brag or anything, but to provide context for, I guess what comes next. So when I graduated ranger school, there were five women in my class that graduated, which was a lot, five of us. And, you know, the other four women were amazing. And I, and I feel really honored to have pause for clarification. How many people graduate in a ranger class? My class, we had 188 or something. I I don't, I don't know the average amount, but mine had like 180, 190. 
So nearly 200, you had five females and that was a lot. And that was a lot. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Keep going. And so when we graduated, they told us what number we were. I was ranger number, female ranger number 67. And that is not a number that I wear proudly. It is merely just, just a fact. Um, because at that point there were still less than a hundred women. So I think they were probably bookkeeping. I, I don't know, but they told us at graduation, Hey, this is your number. And then I finished ranger school, go to my unit. Um, and then I, I go to sapper school probably five, six months later, purely to avoid being on staff and, um, not actually, but part of the reason. And I finished sapper school. And the first thing I'm told is that I'm number six. I am the sixth woman in the history of the army to have two tabs on her shoulder. Again, not the reason I went to the school, not at all something I cared about, but it definitely provides provides context for for, for what followed. I uh, did you know that before you went that there were only six? Because that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I see where you're going that. with it, but it's a pretty neat statistic. I, I did not. I did not know that. Um, I don't. I don't even know how they know that, <laughs> and I couldn't even tell you who told me that. But it very much so became a thing that I was number six. And again, not, not at all why I went to the school. I went because I was about to become a sapper platoon leader and I really wanted to understand what it meant to be a sapper. So, you know, I, I got to my unit um, and I've, I've never been one to be a quote unquote female in the army. I've always just been Emma. I wanted to go to ranger school because Emma, Emma wanted to challenge herself and try her hand at ranger school Never at West Point was it ever an issue that I was a female. It was just Emma being Emma. And all my mentors at West Point were male. And and I owe a lot to them. I really, really do. I would not have made it through my four-year experience there, nor, nor would be who I am now in the Army without my my mentors at West Point. Um, but it wasn't until I, I got to my unit and got out to the Operational Army where being a woman became uh, almost a problem. And then it was being a woman with the unique set of qualifications that I had that became a subtle issue at my at my unit slash at, at Fort Liberty, kind of as a whole. Um, no one ever came out and uniquely said that that was the issue, but it it you know that you can kind of tell. Um, and I and I denied it for a while. It took some really low experiences with leadership. Uh, took some pretty dark times in my unit to realize the root of the problem, that the root of the problem was me, but not really me. Um, it took and you know pretty vulnerable here, but it took many episodes of me like crying in my car during lunch for being, you know, verbally beat down by leaders in my chain of command for things that I never did. It took being pulled into higher level leaders offices a number of times for things that I never understood to be wrong and and weren't objectively wrong. Um, it took people in my organization making me feel guilty for being who I am, where I second guess daily interactions and where I had to have people as much, you know, proofread my staff duty roll-up emails that go to the chain of command because uh, I knew that they were going to be looked at differently or scrutinized purely because it had my name attached to it. And so for a really long time, I, I struggled to understand what was going on. Um, and I'm and I'm I'm all for self-reflection. I'm all for admitting when I'm wrong. I'm all for owning my problems and and being better next time. And I tried to do that for almost 18 months. And it was exhausting because no one could ever tell me what I was doing wrong. No one could ever tell me what the problem was. No one could ever like sit, sit me down and have a real conversation with me. And it became really exhausting and really isolating. And I never felt like anything but the problem, but no one could tell me why I was the problem or what I was doing wrong. And 
I had never had a female mentor before, but I, about a year ago, found uh, Major Sydney Jacks. I don't know if you guys are familiar with her, but she runs an Instagram page called Balance Your Grit. And it is about creating a female mentorship culture in the army. And her, her phrase is be real, not careful. And I found her page um, at the time that she had 46 followers. She now has about 7,000. And I found her and I immediately messaged her because I I needed someone to talk to who would who would understand or try to understand. And for context, Major Sydney Jacks was the first tabbed female to be in Ranger Regiment. And so I reached out to her and she being the amazing woman and mentor that she is, we ended up having almost a two hour phone call. And I talked for over an hour about all the experiences I had, everything that was going on. I'm pretty sure I cried for half of it. And uh, at the end of it, you know, no, I don't think anyone's ever said such impactful words to me. She said, Emma, I can relate to what you're feeling. You aren't alone and you have to know that you aren't the problem. There are so many of you who feel the same way, same way and just know that all this crap you're going through will someday make sense and give purpose to who you are as Emma, as a woman and as a leader. She told me that you're in the grit right now. And just try not to lose who Emma is through it all. There's a reason people try to pull you down or make it harder. And it's because you're a threat in so many ways, even if you don't want to be. But in the most amazing way, you're a threat. And in, no one had ever told me that before. And I think to this day, I owe being pulled out of a really dark place to, to Major Jackson, to the words that she said to me on that day. And I say all of this not to be woe is me or, you know, pe- people don't like me because I'm a woman no, but it, but it's to expose a reality that is not talked about and to know that, you know, it, the proof is in the pudding. Her page has 7000 followers and the impact that she continues to have is is amazing. And it's because there are women, ambitious women who who are trying to achieve things that experience things that I did. But at the time, I didn't know that there were others who were experiencing these things. And so. Again, I entered the army just being Emma, wanting to challenge herself and be the best leader for for some amazing soldiers that she could. And no one ever warned me about the side effects of that. No one ever pulled me aside and had a, a real conversation about, hey, here's what this might be like for you. Don't let it scare you, but here's the reality. And so I think, you know, as a result, I've had to build some really thick skin And, and yes, like I said, I'm all for owning my mistakes and recognizing when I mess up and trying to learn and be better. But it got to a point where there was nothing I was doing wrong. It was 18 months of, of you name it. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot that we can dive into too within that, but that's in short been, been my experience thus far. Um, And I'm, I'm, I'm sad to say that I'm not the only one. Would you say that, because you use the word, I think Major Jacks said that you were a threat, and I'm, you know, she meant it in a good way. But I'm, I'm thinking, just, do you think it's because you are such a high achiever and you've accomplished so much in such a short time that you were perceived as threatening from other folks, and that might have contributed to some of that? Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I find it fascinating because there there's so much attention spent and like discussion spent on the experience of women in some of these schools. And just, I know I've said it before, I'm just like still thinking about it that you like in those in extremist type environments where people are getting pushed to their limits is not where you ran into issues. Like I think people are more focused on like the task at hand in environments like that. And they're not as worried about some of the things you're talking about here. It was when you were put into like the day to day of army life 
and like the politics of it and the relationships of it and all of those things that it started to become complicated and start to become an issue. I think that's, that's fascinating because that's not the part that got all the attention and all the news articles and things like that. Because when you're in the school, I mean, especially Ranger school, everyone's bald. Every, no one's wearing a rank. <laughs> Everyone is going through the same gritty experience that the person to the left and right of them is. No, no one is different. No one is an individual. You are a team and you are doing things to accomplish them as a team. But I think, you know, when you get out to the army, it, you know, you're not in that gritty environment anymore. Um, so I think, I think that has something to do with it. Well, it's interesting because you hear this a lot where when, when you're in the shit, when it actually matters, when it really doesn't, it race doesn't matter. Gender doesn't matter. Like it's just what you're capable of contributing to the team. And everybody, right. I, you know, I've been around a lot of teams and everybody always says the same stuff about we're a team, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, pretty directly from your experience, you found that that's not the case. I mean, it doesn't really matter what poster you put on the wall. If at the end of the day, you perceive this person to your left or your right as a threat, specifically because they're female with two tabs on their shoulder. Like it just, it's interesting that that environment not, not only doesn't exist, but it seems very prevalent from what, from your experience. And I, I, I think another kind of gruesome reality of it was I, I was a pretty you know, like naive second Lieutenant showing up to unit with a Ranger tab, really excited to get after it and, and, and start doing the thing that I had spent so long working hard to do. And I very quickly realized the hard way that because of what I had accomplished, I became a political pawn and a bartering tool that my career decisions were no longer mine to make. It was higher echelon leaders keeping me around because of the qualifications I had on paper or, or because they thought they knew it was best for me. And that was extremely suffocating. And I'll, and I'll never forget that feeling. And I think, you know, another key moment that will always stick in my brain is my, my platoon sergeant and I are, are super close. We still are to this day. Got really lucky to have an amazing platoon sergeant. We were at a going away ceremony for a leader in the organization who was the same rank as me. And there were, you know, higher, higher leaders at said going away ceremony. And one of those leaders was speaking at the ceremony. And he said, you know, we're really going to miss you, you know, for you are ambitious. You don't take no for an answer. You get after it on a daily basis. And you are the epitome of what leaders should look to be. And my platoon sergeant elbowed me and whispered, isn't that what you always get in trouble for doing? And he laughed and I laughed, but I laughed because it's so true. And that there, there was finally someone else who was noticing what was going on here. And I had a few other experiences like that with my fellow platoon leaders where, you know, they would say things like palace, it's always you, it's always you getting in trouble, but it, but they would laugh. It would, they would say that in like a laughing way, but it was funny, but it was also like, you guys are laughing at what is exactly the problem here. And other people noticed it. And I even had other soldiers in my platoon come up to me and, and talk to me about it. And so it, it was not something that over time that I, I was the only one noticing. Do you, I might be jumping ahead here, but I want to ask this question. So you've been you've been in the military now for a little bit. Obviously, you've been you've had all these experiences. If you could go back 
to the Emma that decided that she wanted to look at the Naval Academy. What would you what would you tell her to maybe not even change your trajectory, but maybe even just what to prepare for, how to, you know, develop that thick skin. What would you do if you could sit down with her and talk? I don't think I would tell her to change her trajectory. I don't think I would warn her of anything because at that time I didn't have any context. I didn't understand the anything about the military at that time. But I think as I started to go through West Point and have some of these experiences over my summer trainings and, you know, go to, go to airborne school, go to free fall school. I, I wish I could tell her that it's not you. Like it is not Emma. That is the problem. It It is much bigger than you. Um, and you represent the brand. That's what I call it. I like ambitious women in the army. I call it like, like the brand, like you represent the brand, you represent something so much bigger than yourself. And you will find those, those women, you know, and, and you need to be the best person that you can and and put your best foot forward every day because you represent something so much larger than yourself. And you might not realizing it, but there are young women and young men who are looking to you to be an example um, and, and to represent that brand well. And so I I wish I, when I was younger, understood the bigger picture because I didn't. It, it took me being in that very dark place post Ranger Sapper experiences to realize the bigger community that I was a part of and the bigger picture that I represented. So Drew asked you if you could go back and talk to your younger self. And we don't get the opportunity to go back and talk to our younger selves. And the next best thing is opportunities to mentor people who are coming up behind you. Have, have you had the opportunity to do that? And what has that experience been like to like be what you needed as you were preparing for those things? I, I am the biggest proponent of mentorship because it has saved me for the last, however long I've been doing this West Point slash army thing. My, I owe so much of who I am and what I've done to my mentors. Um, and I, I am all, I love being able to pass that forward. You know, all the experiences I've had, I, I want to be able to pass that forward to other people and, and be someone for them that I didn't have when I was, a, you know, a cadet going through West Point and, and commissioning out into the army. Have I had that opportunity? Yes. Um, definitely as a platoon leader. And then with some amazing soldiers in my battalion, but have I, have I had it enough? No. And I, I think it, you can't force mentorship. So as much as I, I think that there are young women in my formation that I really want to mentor, I think they, we have to, they, they have to have an interest in having that from me. Um, and I think that comes from having similar ambitions, similar drives, similar goals in the military. And it, and it's okay if it doesn't, if it doesn't work out, I can't force myself on them as a mentor if they don't, if they don't want it from me or want it in general, but I, I wish I could be doing it more, but I also understand that it can't be forced. So I'm, I'm, I'm out there as a mentor for anyone that, that might want one or, or needs one, or I, I love helping people. I really do. I like the, um, ambitious women in the army. That almost seems like a patch, like the Awita club or something. I feel like we should start that one up, but I'm wondering if, because a lot of, I mean, you've talked about being in some pretty dark places not knowing or maybe perceiving that this was a much bigger thing than just your experience. So now that you know that, 
and you know again like the ambitious women in the army club like <laughs> does that is there room for that to become a little bit of a motivating factor as opposed to something that might hold you back if that makes sense oh definitely now it definitely serves as a motivating factor but when I didn't have that perspective in that context. And honestly, before I found major Jacks, I didn't understand that. And because for the longest time, I thought it was something that I was doing wrong, something that I needed to fix about myself, that there was something I was doing in my interactions or my conversations with leaders, or even my day-to-day job as a platoon leader at the time that I was doing wrong, that was causing these things to happen. And so for a while, it was just doing a ton of self-reflection and beating myself up because I seemed to be the common denominator every time. Uh, but it wasn't until I found other women in, in the community, the ambitious women of the army community, if you will. <laughs> the Oedas, the Oeda club. <laughs> <laughs> um, that I, that I, it turned into a very motivating thing because I felt less alone. I realized that my experiences weren't unique to me. And I was able to talk about them with people who under who understood. Because yes, I, I turned to my some of my mentors from West Point during this time, but all you know, and they had some great advice, but none of it ever really hit the nail on the head. Do you, I'm trying to figure out. I've had this question in my head now for a while because I know, like, we're sort of a performance podcast, and I'm curious about how do all these things, these experiences, your background, the schools, the qualifications, even like some of the dark times, like how do those all tie together now for you when you look forward into your army career, however long or short that may end up being in terms of, Hey, okay. Like with all of this behind me, or, you know, this is going to sound cheesy, but with all of this within me, here is now what I, what I think of when I wake up in the morning and, and high performance. I think the combination of of all these experiences and opportunities I've had just come together to to build a a package that equips me for for everyday life, if you will. I think I've gained something different from each one of these experiences, interactions, schools, you name it, that to use the very typical leader thing of my toolkit. You know, it's like another <laughs> thing that I can add to my toolkit. It's another tool that I can add in there that I can use for whatever scenario I might be presented with. And and overall, you know, I think it's made me a stronger leader. I think it's made me a more confident leader. And I think it's, it's made me under, understand myself and those around me better. Um, and it's given me a whole variety of experiences and perspectives that I can now pull from as a leader. And so, and I think one of, one of my junior NCOs said it really well recently. He was talking about, about Ranger school, but I think it applies to a lot. He said, Ranger school or insert experience was set up as a force multiplier, allowing individuals to take what they learned and develop the force to be better than we were yesterday. It's not a mark of being superior to anyone else. Um, and he went on to say some other things, but I, but I agree, you know, these experiences, I think I can, you know, hopefully use them as a force multiplier things to maybe help someone else out in the future or give someone that extra push they need or be there for someone when they need it or inspire someone, you, you name it. Um, but I, but I think that notion of insert experience or insert school, using it as a, as a force multiplier and allowing it to be an experience for me to, to give back to someone else or, or give back to to the formation. So I have I have two. We're getting up to the hour mark here, and I have two topics that we did not hit on at all that 
Hit frankly, on frankly, yeah, I'm, okay I'm like with not hitting on them. I'm sorry. I'm in the Oida club now. Like I make the ambitious <laughs> one in the army is like, anyway, keep going. <laughs> no, exactly. Cause I think, I think we went in a direction that produced like the most valuable conversation we actually could. So I'm, I'm okay with these being like kind of quick hitters at the end, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious about two things and I'll let you decide whether either or both is worth having a conversation about before we close here. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is if I'm not mistaken, you're in the the rough terrain company, which I think, or were in, which I think is Damn one of the coolest. It. I think it's one of the coolest units in the army, and I'd love to hear it a little is. bit about it. So go ahead, go for <laughs> it. So, my pitch for rough terrain. So, I have been very fortunate to have been a platoon leader and now and the XO of the 57th Sapper Company, rough terrain, airborne. We are the Army's only rough terrain asset, which means we can be inserted into any type of terrain via paradrop, so via airborne operation, um, and establish an area for an LZ, a landing zone, or a DZ, a drop zone. So the idea is that we get dropped into, more often than not, trees, wearing these padded smoke jumper suits with a (laughs) hockey-looking helmet, with a chainsaw in our rucksack, and we get, you know, we we, uh, are the only unit in 18th Airborne Corps that's authorized to jump a steerable canopy called the MC-6. And we jump into the trees and the idea is you get to the ground, you pull out your chainsaw and you start clearing an area for follow-on forces to insert via helicopter or aircraft. So we are the tree jumpers. We do jump into trees on purpose. And the idea is not to get stuck in a tree. The reason we jump the steerable canopies is so that you can steer to a clearing near, near or the to trees. a fire break. Near the trees. Near the trees. Uh, yes. To a clearing in the trees or to a fire break. But we do have a rappel system in st- like in our suit where if you do get stuck in a tree, you can rappel down from your parachute and start your mission that way. So it is a super unique mission set and something that I feel very lucky to be a part of and that our soldiers are extremely proud to be to be a part of. So if you ever hear somewhere, someone yell in rough terrain, that's what that means. I'll be honest. Until I met you, I did not realize that the Army was having people intentionally jump into trees. Yeah, they're, they're not the only paratroopers who jump into trees they're just the only say, ones who do it on purpose the only ones certainly <laughs> the only ones that have chainsaws when they do it <laughs> it's it's nuts it's not natural i think my my first tree jump i remember being on the tail i was the number one jumper i was on or no number three i think i was on the tailgate of a chinook and we're flying over the trees and the green light goes off and like my natural instinct was like wait no we shouldn't no we shouldn't be jumping yes you should and then i and then Rough hit, you indeed should. And then I, you know, walked off the tailgate and just saw trees below my feet. And I was like, wow, you know, you talk about it all the time. You get really excited to be able to progress in your jumps to be qualified to jump into the trees. And then it was happening and it was a really nerve wracking, surreal experience. And <laughs> we jump a lot. So to get nervous jumping, that was, that was something we were, we were like, uh, uh, yeah, surreal experience. Okay. I'm glad we hit that one. My, my other one is as someone who majored in kinesiology and is now at like the junior leader level where you're still involved in like day-to-day physical training kind of stuff. What do you think? I mean, you already had your comments about like the Ranger Sapper prep kind of stuff, but like, what do you think of the state of army fitness? What would you change? Like, how do you think leaders should be trained on that kind of stuff? Like the unique perspective of somebody who's like both formally and army trained on this. I would love to know what that has you thinking about. I think I have multiple opinions on this, but I think uh, our unit, the 20th Engineer Brigade, has done a really good job at incorporating H2F into everyday life. There is, and I think that is for 
a couple, I think there's leader buy-in from the brigade commander level. Like he has said that that is, is his number one, if not number two priority. And he puts his, his money where his mouth is. And so having, you know, so much leader buy-in into H2F has, I think helped a lot. Um, but I think the challenge comes from getting soldier buy-in. I look at, you know, the majority of soldiers I've, I've been able to, to lead and a lot of them, you know, cannot understand why they should put the vape down, do not understand why Zins are unhealthy and they don't want to understand. And so I think getting buy-in from the lower level is almost equally as important as it is from the, from the top level. You know, you can, you can throw H2F at them all day and give them nine nutritionists, but they're not going to use them unless they understand why it matters. I had one private finally see the light. He was a habitual smoker, vapor, dipper, and he, I don't know what inspired him, but he decided to quit. And then his two mile time dropped by seven minutes <laughs> and he like saw the light and he even said it. He was like, it is because I quit all of these habits, but you know, we got one him bought in, you know? So I think it comes from, you know, having your lowest echelon bought in. Cause as we said, you know, you get people from all backgrounds, all States, all different families, you know, joining the army. And so how do you teach them about nutrition and fitness and, and why it matters that you shouldn't drink all the time after work or vape at 5.00 AM, you know, cause tr we laugh, but truthfully, that's the problem. I had to yell at someone the other day on a run who was vaping on his run and like blowing the vape smoke and it was hitting other runners in the face. Like, dude, put, why are you vaping in the middle of a run? But like he didn't see the problem with it. And so I would say H2F is a really good thing if leaders know how to employ it into their formation. You can put coaches, nutritionists, mental health experts all day at a unit level. But unless you get higher level leader buy-in and soldiers understand how it applies to their life and you have another leader referring them to someone in their staff for help, they're not going to. The rubber is not going to meet the road. That's interesting. I don't understand how somebody could vape while running and think this is, although I say that I've seen people dip in the gym. So, you know, I mean, the old dip and lift. Vaping is a huge problem right now. It's no, it's everywhere, everywhere. I love, I love that we think it's like, really nuanced like x's and o's of programming that makes the difference and at the end of the day it's like classic behavior change getting people to care kind of stuff that makes the difference mm -hmm. i want to ask because you mentioned that you want to and maybe i mean this is a, a good a, a good as good a closer as any but wanting to mentor people wanting to you know the ambitious women in the army club shout out awitas what's the best way for people to get in touch with you I would say email is the best way to get in touch with me. I'm laughing because we edited out the part where she said to just put her number in the show notes. I'll just include that in there. We we will put her email address in the show notes because that's probably a lot safer for everybody involved. I'm really friendly. I don't know. I like to talk to people. I, I Yeah. It might get me into trouble today, but yes. Well, I want to be the first to say thank you for coming on because I know some of this stuff became a little bit vulnerable and I think it's awesome. And hopefully this is only the beginning of the conversation we will have about the uh, ambitious women in the army club. 
I didn't mean to make that such a, a it's, thing. It's a thing. It's a thing now. You made it a thing, Drew. So <laughs> thank you, I guess. But thank you guys for having me on. And uh, when when we originally talked about this, I was like, I have no idea what they want me to talk about. But I, uh, I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here. And yeah, really, really pumped that we did this finally. Hell yeah. Hey, Alex, let's cover our ass real quick. Oh, great idea, Drew. All right, guys. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Before you go, please rate and review the pod on the listening platform of your choice. You can also visit us on our website at www.mopsinmos.com. That's mops, the letter in, mos.com. You can check out the library of podcast episodes, our latest blog entries, any helpful resources, and also sign up for our newsletter. Drew nailed it. Just to underline a couple of things, the podcast entries have in-depth show notes on the website. So if you missed anything or you want to read any of the research we talk about, it is all there. You can, at the bottom of the website, sign up with your email and receive future updates from us. The blog posts go a little bit more in depth and kind of written form on a couple of topics we get questions about all the time. But most importantly, I just want to ask all you guys, our best way the word gets out is absolutely word of mouth. So tell your friends, tell the people you work with, anybody you think would find it useful. Thanks for spreading the word. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to shoot us an email at either Drew or Alex at mopsandmos.com. Or there's a contact form on the website. Thank you.